Welcome to the Desi Girls Guide to Politics. Here we'll discuss topics from government to current events and everything in between, all from the point of view of an Indian American teenager. For some reason, abortion is a hugely debated issue and a controversial issue in current politics. But, I mean, you know, we should first go over what abortion actually is. Basically, when a pregnant woman has an abortion, she removes the fetus from her womb. So, uh, this could be for a myriad of reasons. Maybe having the child would endanger her health. Maybe she wasn't in a financial state to go through the pregnancy. Maybe she was a teenager who wasn't ready for a child and was too young. Or maybe she just did not want children, you know, like, you don't need a reason. So, that is basically, like, I guess medically what an abortion really is. And at least personally to me, because, like, I am a pro-choicer, it there doesn't seem like a problem to me, right? The government, there's no reason for abortions to be like, criminalized, right? There's no need for the government to infringe on women's rights and decide what women do with their own bodies. But, you know, we'll get to that later, right? It seems perfectly logical to me, I guess. But, like, let's talk about the controversy behind this a little bit, because, you know, of course, it's a political podcast. So, first, we do need to go over legislature pass to legalize or, you know, I guess, criminalize, on the other hand, abortion. Now, once the whole last American Revolution happened and the United States split and gained independence, we adopted British abortion laws. Because, you know, if you didn't know, even at the time, we had the technology and the developments to go through with abortions. Now, the British law stated that a woman would be able to have abortion until the quickening. Sorry, that sounds like a horror movie. I swear to God. Um, it's not. Quickening is when the baby starts to kick inside the whoop. It can begin, I think, at like 14 weeks to 28 weeks, I'm pretty sure. And surprisingly, this law is actually more lenient than what came later for abortion laws, but it will get to that in a bit. Now, in 1829, New York passed a law that made abortions after quickening a felony, but abortions before quickening a misdemeanor. It's like women just cannot win, right? The government just keeps on trying to get between a woman and her own freaking body. So that would be it, right? You think the laws can get any more strict. But lo and behold, physicians found another way to criminalize abortion. They said that quickening doesn't actually reflect any vital part of gestation or the development of fetus. So they used their great big brain of theirs to theorize that since legislation used quickening as a division between like legal abortion and criminal abortion, and it wasn't an actual like stage or anything, abortion before quickening should be held as just as bad. So, great, we're back to square one. Abortion is illegal. Before quickening and after quickening. Now, in the mid-19th century, most abortions were sought by women who got pregnant out of wedlock, which means, like, they weren't married. It was, like, with a boyfriend or whatever. And, like, so unmarried women. However, as we enter the late 19th and, like, early 20th centuries, more and more married women were getting abortions. More than single ones. And of course, the physicians had nothing better to do than to worry about this. What? A woman wants control over her own body and isn't letting the man make all the decisions? <gasps> so sad. Because, of course, you know, most of the physicians were male. They couldn't even get pregnant, but, you know, they, they still thought that they should get a say in what a woman does. And, of course, they needed a scapegoat, so they blamed all of this on the women's rights movement, right? Oh, no, we can't treat women like property anymore. 
but actually even many feminists at the time weren't for abortion necessarily. Quite like actually some of today's pro-choicers, right? You can be pro-choice without supporting abortion as a deed itself. But, you know, going back to these feminist women, they treat abortion as like a last resort kind of thing, right? Something undesirable for a woman to do when she has no other choice. Quite often because of a rotten man or boyfriend or ex-boyfriend in that matter or husband, you know? Love that. And fast forward a few years to, I think, 1873, some dude named Anthony Comstock passed the Comstock Law through the U.S. Congress. It, like, I guess on paper, it may seem beneficial, as it banned vulgar and obscene material from being transported through the U.S. mail. However, you know, the small print there was that it banned any information relating to abortions or, like, contraceptions, right? And, And not only mailing it, but even producing it. Not even, like, giving it to medical students. Why is the government so keen on limiting women's rights? Okay, like, I know this is probably the tenth time I've said that, but I could say it a hundred times and still wouldn't make a difference. So by the year 1900, abortions were punishable felony in every single state. But actually, even with that, at the time, more than 800,000 abortions were being performed by physicians each year. And in the midst of all this, in 1921, the American Birth Control League was formed. Yeah, the, the new name that you know it by probably sounds less like a superhero organization. Planned Parenthood is what it became in the 40s. Probably heard of that. There's a whole controversy behind it right now about, you know, whether we should defund Planned Parenthood, whether we should not defund Planned Parenthood, why should taxpayer dollars should be going to Planned Parenthood, and all that. But that's not what we're talking about. Now, you know, that time in the early 20th century, it really sucked for women. Some, because like some who like wanted to stay legal, right? They had to fly overseas just to obtain a medical procedure, like to Finland, just to be able to get an abortion. And then there was a uh, Supreme Court case, Griswold v. Connecticut in 1965, I'm pretty sure which basically kind of shot down the last remaining kind of contraception part of the Comstock laws in the states of Connecticut and Massachusetts. But that case only applied it to marital relationships, so if you were married. But then in, uh, I don't think I might pronounce this right, Eisenstadt v. Baird in the early 70s, 71, 72, I'm not exactly sure, but it's one of those two years, uh, extended, so it hold it's holding to unmarried people. So, by 1972, unmarried women and married women could, you know, gain access to contraceptions. And also, relating to this, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, or Gynecologists, um, no, Gynecologists, that's what it is, the ACOG, uh, basically issued a statement that stated, I guess, that conception, um, this is, and I quote, conception is the implantation of a fertilized ovum. And technically, birth control methods that prevented conception, like, conception, could be classified as contraceptives and not, I'm probably going to mispronounce this word, abortificence, which is basically something that, I guess, induces abortion. Contraceptives prevents conception which technically would not be illegal. Now, after 1967, some states started to loosen restrictions on abortions, the first being Colorado, which moved from a total ban 
to allowing abortions in the case of, you know, rape or incest. Then a few other states like California followed suit. But until Hawaii in 1970, none of the states had legalized abortion enough as to the request of women. But I, I phrase that weirdly. What I mean is that a woman could ask for an abortion with no reason, like with rape needed, right? She could go up to a clinic and say that she wanted an abortion and legally she'd be allowed to get one. And then finally, I mean, this is a long time needed or a long time coming. New York finally decided to repeal their god-awful law from the 1830s that made abortion a misdemeanor. They changed it to abortion being legal until the 24th week of pregnancy. And then in the case, uh, yeah, so then after this, the case of United States v. Vooch. I think is how you pronounce it, V-U-I-T-C-H. The Supreme Court ruled that the Washington, D.C. law that stated abortions being legal to maintain the health of a woman also would include psychological health, right? So many states, well, if we're talking about Washington, D.C., had a law that, oh, women can only get abortions if it, if carrying through with a pregnancy would harm their health. And the Supreme Court basically ruled that this includes psychological health. So that basically meant that abortions would be legal in Washington, D.C., since they can't, like, state what psychological health means. Like, there isn't one kind of definition for that. And now we get to the case that we have all been waiting for, Roe v. Wade, probably the most significant and well-known ruling to legalize abortion. Now, at the time of Roe v. Wade, just like, I'm just like saying this, 30 states had criminalized abortion like point blank. There were 30 states that just did not allow abortion in any way, shape, or form. So, Roe v. Wade began by basically just shooting down a Texas law or statute that stated a woman could only have abortions in cases of health. And this is this isn't Washington D.C. right? So this is still like physical health. So they ruled that as unconstitutional. But it actually went even farther as to group abortion under the umbrella of right to privacy. Now the right to privacy isn't technically in the Constitution, but more than once the Supreme Court has stated that together the amendments have you know covered privacy enough. So unless Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortions will remain legal in the United States as you know a woman's right. to privacy includes a woman's right to abortion. And actually, this is another reason that many people were uncomfortable with Amy Coney Barrett being confirmed to the Supreme Court, as she is a pro-life judge. And, you know, they were scared, like, I guess me included, that this will cause Roe v. Wade to be overturned. And if it gets overturned, that right goes back to the states. And seeing how divided states have been on abortion laws for, you know, it's not a good thing for women if the rights go back to the state. And actually, this is a pretty good segue into uh, my next topic, which is pro-life versus pro-choice. So currently, there are two, I guess, like standpoints or sides or groups on the topic of abortion. There are pro-lifers who are mostly conservatives, and then there are pro-choicers who are mostly progressive or liberal. Now, pro-lifers, they don't agree with abortion at all. They are the ones who will, uh, I mean, of course, I'm going to be biased because I'm a liberal. They are the ones who spend hours and hours chanting about abortion is murder, abortion is murder. And some extremists will even stand in front of abortion clinics and not let anyone through. Uh, but are pro-lifers actually, you know, I guess, pro-lifers? Statements I'm going to make are probably, they're mostly off of my own personal knowledge and my personal opinions as there isn't any data to 
explain and answer my question, but you know, it's an educated guess. So if you look on social media and you've, if you see any of these like kind of liberal accounts, pages, you'll see a lot of information. You can gain a lot of information actually this day and age through social media. And there's kind of the, I guess, the united fact that pro-lifers are not pro-life. They are just pro-birth or even harsher pro-controlling women. Uh, many people, and I don't know if I want to glibly say this, but I kind of get, I believe this, right? They, many pro-lifers don't really care what happens to the baby after birth. All they want is just to make sure the women go through with the birth, right? Even if it means that the child would be placed in an orphanage or placed in a foster care and have a miserable life, or that they will come out with birth defects and because of the mother's health problems and just they would not have a good life or maybe they the woman the mother would have to work double the amount of hours to make both ends meet just so that her child that she wanted to abort and she wouldn't be allowed to because of her lifers she would have to work double the time to just get food on the table for this other child who now she has to provide for and i guess some pro-lifers are more nuanced than this that they're like oh i'm pro-life in these cases and pro-choice in other cases but some are just like pro-life like point blank and even if that means like both the woman and the child dying right in some cases the woman isn't in the physical condition to give birth to a child and that could result in the loss of a life of both the woman and the baby So, you know, not really pro-life there anymore, are they? And they love to play on, like, emotions. The whole thing, you're killing a baby. How would that baby feel? Like, number one, they're saying baby just to, you know, tug on heartstrings. It's a fetus. You are removing a fetus. Okay? And some pro-lifers are really, like, hypocritical to me. So they say, oh, yeah, we shouldn't have abortions. No teen uh, teen pregnancies is the most disgraceful thing in the world, but they still shouldn't be able to get abortions. But they still don't support getting, like, better sex ed taught in schools and sexual education that teaches, you know, safe way to, you know, have that. I'm a middle schooler, so I don't know the, like, details behind this, but, you know, the safe ways to partake in intercourse or, you know, abstinence or any of that. Uh, they don't support free birth control either so that women who are, you know, poorer can, you know, still do that stuff and get birth control so they wouldn't become pregnant in the first place and wouldn't have to go through with removing a fetus. So they, they want their cake and they want to eat it too. So yeah, I, I can go on a rant about pro-lifers for hours and hours and hours, but now let's talk about the pro-choicers, which are the second side. And, and notice how the phrase is not pro-abortion. It is pro-choice. There are many pro-choicers who might actually not get, they probably wouldn't ever get an abortion themselves, or they might even disagree with abortion as a concept. But they don't want to tell other women, you know, what they should do. Pro-choicers believe that women should have the right to their own body. The government shouldn't be able to tell them what and what not to do with their uterus. Especially men. Like, like please, no uterus, no opinion. Well, there you have it. History of abortions. And, you know, my whole last rant on pro-lifers. See y'all next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Daisy Girl's Guide to Politics.